0: You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.church. So today we are going to take another step in our set of sermons called Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. I just want to remind you again of of what is underlying this set of sermons. Um, What's underlying this set of sermons is this conviction that we need the whole Bible to make whole Christians. We need the entirety of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, Uh, because the entirety of the Bible, the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is telling one grand story about one great person, and his name is who? Jesus. That is what the Bible is about. One grand story about one great person. His name is Jesus. And really what we're doing in this set of, sermon is we're, uh, set of sermons is going back to the Old Testament and we're just looking at the Old Testament and we're asking the Lord to show us what it looks like to see Jesus in the Old Testament throughout the entirety of the Bible. We're learning that together. That's, that's the journey we've been on this fall. And today we're going to bo- be in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, The book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 14 is where you need to be. So let me start by saying this as we uh, jump into Ezekiel 14. I want to start by trying to convince you of this statement. You need, you do, I do, everyone in this room needs a working awareness of idolatry. We all need a working awareness of idolatry. Now, if that strikes you as crazy this morning, I'm praying that today this would just be a grace from the Lord to, to walk you into this. But we all need a working awareness of idolatry. If you do a word search in the Old Testament, the word idolatry comes up over 200 times. So, so this is not a small issue in the Bible. This is a huge issue in the Bible. Idolatry, uh, I think this is a good way to think about idolatry in the Old Testament. Idolatry is the Old Testament's primary way, not not tertiary way, not like some peripheral way. It's it's the Old Testament's primary way of talking about sin. Idolatry is the word the Old Testament uses to talk about sin. So if you read the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, what you're going to find is this ongoing struggle. You're going to see this ongoing struggle in the people of God to love and worship God rather than loving and worshiping idols. That That is the ongoing struggle in the Old Testament. And that's what's happening in Ezekiel 14. That The passage you just heard read, th- this is the problem. that The leaders of Israel came to Ezekiel to hear from the Lord. That they wanted to hear from God. And in response to them coming to, to God and wanting to hear from God, God says back to them, Son of man, these men have taken the, their idols into their hearts. He's defining the, the problem for them. He's saying this is Israel's problem. They have, they have taken idols and they've brought those idols in, into their hearts. This, this is their problem. And in a lot of ways, this moment in Ezekiel 14 is really a microcosm for the problem that people have got experience in the Old Testament and the New, for that matter. It, it is the problem in the Bible, idolatry. This is why in the New Testament, Paul pleads with the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. You've got to turn from idolatry. This is why John in 1 John five twenty one says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Paul, John, looking at us and saying to the people of God, you've got to have a working awareness of idols. You've got to turn from idols. You've got to flee from idols. This is why the first of the Ten Commandments, this is the first thing God wants to talk about when he's, when he's laying out his law for his people. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. That, that's, and That's the issue of idolatry. That's what God is addressing there. This is why when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, here's the greatest one. You love me above every other thing. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the Bible consistently from Genesis to Revelation warning us against idolatry. All throughout the scriptures, just warning us to to resist and to turn from idols. Uh, Listen to Os Guinness describe this. He says it this way. He says, idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible. And and the reason it's the most discussed problem is because under every other problem that the people have got experience, idolatry is sitting there lurking below that problem. It's the most discussed problem in the Bible, He says, then he goes on, yet contemporary evangelicals are little better at recognizing and resisting idols than most modern secular people. So just ask yourself the question, how, how aware of, uh, am I of idols? Like, am I, am I recognizing idolatry in my life? Am I resisting idols in my life? He goes on to say, now listen to this statement. This is an amazing sentence. He says, there can be no believing communities that there can be no believing communities without an unswerving eye to the detection and destruction of idols that's an amazing statement that there can be no believing community without an unswerving eye to the detection and destruction of idols so so idolatry is not it's not a problem in the past like those primitive people back then they're the people that really struggle with idolatry, but us today, no, we, we don't, we've moved beyond that. No, no, the Bible is saying it is not just a past problem. Idolatry is also a very present problem in this room, in my heart, in your heart. And, and what I want to do today is I just, I just want to kind of step into this, wade into this, praying that the Lord would, would begin to give us eyes to recognize and resist idols to both detect and then destroy idols in our heart. So so I want to think this through with you today, and I want to do that in just three parts in this passage, three parts. I want to try to define idolatry, then we'll talk about detecting idols, and then we'll talk about destroying idols. Defining, detecting, and destroying. So let's start with idolatry defined. Idolatry defined. Now, to understand uh, idolatry, you really have to, to take like a broad view of the scriptures. So we need to just think about some biblical theology, how the Bible thinks about this. So to do that, we have to start in Genesis 1 and 2. So think about Genesis 1 and 2 for a moment. In Genesis 1 and 2, part of what we learn about human beings is that God has hardwired humans for worship. That that is a universal human reality, that, that we are worshiping beings. You are, I am, every human being is a worshiping being. Uh, worship is a universal reality. All people, all cultures worship. Now, for some of us, our weird meter starts to kind of go off because when we hear the word worship, w- we put that word in a very defined box that means we are gathering in a place and we're singing songs to Jesus. But worship in the Bible is much broader than just singing songs to Jesus. Uh, th- think, think about it like this. Worship, uh, it comes from this old Latin word meaning worship, worship. So so part of what that that is helping us see is what what we are worshiping is what we are ascribing ultimate worth to in our life. Like whatever in your life right now you are ascribing and and attaching onto that thing right there ultimate worth. Like this has the the highest value, the the most worth in my life right now. Whatever that thing is, that is what you're worshiping. And as humans, we are hardwired to, to ascribe worth to something. Y- you can't live, I can't live without doing, looking at something and ascribing that sort of worth to it. Uh, God has put inside of every human being, in your heart and in my heart, deep longings. Longings for happiness, longings for significance, longing for security. And, and every human being is taking those deep longings in us, and we are looking at something in this world and saying, you're the one that's going to fulfill these deep longings. And and whatever we're attaching, directing those deep longings in our heart toward, that's what we're ascribing worth to. That's what we're worshiping. Now, think about the play out of this in the scriptures. Genesis 1 and 2, the opening chapters of the Bible. God creates us with these deep longings, and he's put us inside of his creation. And, And he's in particular, wired the creation so that nothing inside of creation would be able to meet those deep longings in our heart. Now, why did God do that? He did that so that we wouldn't look at God's gifts, things that he created down here, but we would look up at God for the satisfaction of those deep longings, that we would take those deep aches in our soul and we would direct them up toward God, thereby worshiping God and ascribing ultimate worth to God. And that's what the Bible calls right worship. It's taking those deep longings of our heart and directing them toward God. And that right worship in the Bible goes well for all of two chapters. It's a really sad story in the Bible. So then you get to Genesis chapter 3. Our first parents sinned against God, and that sin in Genesis 3 forever twisted our worship. So think about the reality for every human being post-Genesis chapter 3, the introduction of sin. After Genesis chapter 3, the universal reality of worship remained. So we're all still worshiping beings. We're all going to find something to worship. The, the universal reality of worship remained, but God as the sole object of our worship changed. Now other loves, other objects, created things are now brought into the picture of what it looks really good for a human being to say, that's what's going to satisfy that deep ache inside of me. That's what's going to do it. Listen to David Foster Wallace. uh, And if you know him, he he has really no theological agenda per se. He's not a person that I would typically quote in a sermon. Uh, But but in his uh, famous commencement address to Kenyon College, listen to what he said. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. You just don't, don't find that in the trenches of life. He goes on to say this, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Now that is a great, that is a great picture of of life post Genesis chapter 3 for every human being. And and part of what he's alerting us to is that that we're all going to worship, Worship, the the universal reality of worship has not changed. It's just the question of what we worship now. And and what we worship, you could put into two big buckets. It's either one of two things. Here are the the one of two options. Option number one, the creator, God. That's what the Bible calls right worship. Option number two, created things. That's what the Bible calls idolatry, worshiping created things. Listen to the way Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says it this way. This will be on the screen for you. He says, for although they knew God, this is, this is just Paul describing the human condition post-Genesis 3. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, verse 23, this is the, the sort of biblical language for idolatry. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That they were worshiping God, but they exchanged the worship of God and then they started worshiping created things. He's saying, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then, verse 25. Here's the biblical language for idolatry again. Because they exchanged, that they redirected their worship. That their worship, what they're ascribing ultimate worth to was no longer God, that they exchanged the the worship this way and and they pointed it that way. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Okay, now we're ready to define idolatry. Uh, by the way, if you're a parent in the room, you should grab, you can download the app, the New City Catechism. It's just a simple question and answer that teaches great theology. So it's to be a great teaching tool in your home as you're trying to pastor your family. But here's the, question 17 of the New City Catechism. Ask the question, what is idolatry? I just want to read to you its answer. Now we're ready with that sort of biblical context and ground laid. We're ready to, to get the definition. What is idolatry? Here's its answer. Idolatry is trusting in, or you could say worshiping, ascribing ultimate worth to. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. It's trusting in created things for, for those things, hope, happiness, significance, and securities. Trusting in created things rather than in God, our creator. So think about this for a moment. When you reject God, when we turn from God as the object of our worship, we don't stop worshiping, right? It's impossible for a human being to ever stop worshiping. So, so when we reject God, we don't stop worshiping. So maybe you can think of it this way. If, if you came in this morning and, and deep down, when you think about God, he's just not that big a deal to you. I, if you were really honest, you would probably just say, God is just, you're just kind of bored with God. He just He's not captivating anymore to you. He just, he's not very awe-inspiring to you. If you feel that this morning, it doesn't mean you've stopped worshiping. It means you've switched gods. Something is in your life. Something is captivating. You're looking at something and ascribing worth to it. You're looking at something and saying, You have to to satisfy the deep aches of my soul. You've got to do it. We're all looking at something for that. And and idolatry is looking at anything other than God, any of God's gifts, any part of God's creation, and demanding that they give you what only God can. It's being captivated by part of God's creation rather than God. It's elevating something in in creation uh, above God into the place of God. That's idolatry. It's trusting in created things rather than the, 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 rather than the creator for hope and happiness, significance, and security. So if you just draw that thread down, now you can think about what is an idol. An idol is not just some carved statue somewhere, right? An idol is the object of our wrong worship. Whatever it is in, in creation, if, if we're looking at anything but God and ascribing ultimate worth to it, that, that is our idol. An idol is anything within creation that's been inflated in our life to function like God. Like, you are going to give me the things that my heart so desperately wants. That's an idol. And and here's what makes idols so tricky. They aren't always bad things. Right? This is one of the, the sort of difficulties with idolatry. Most often, our idols are good things that we elevate and turn into God things. That, that's how we most often work with idols. This is what makes them so hard to see. And that makes sense, right? The better something is, the better the gift from God it is, the more likely that we'll look at that thing and actually believe it can satisfy the deep cravings of our heart. So, so think about marriage, your spouse, kids, career, a house, your health, your hobbies, your education, entertainment, sex, sports, music, Even ministry, even ministry can be an idol. It's the best things in in God's creation that that we have a tendency to turn into God things, that we inflate to function like a God in our life. Now, let me just make two observations from Ezekiel 14 here. Observation number one, and this is kind of like the big, uh, you know, the point of the passage is God has a problem with our idolatry. Right? I mean, that's kind of a simple observation. I just want to name that. I mean, part of what Ezekiel 14 is showing us is that God has a problem with our idolatry. It does not settle well with God. Now, think again about the context of this passage. The leaders of Israel have come to hear a prophet, hear hear basically from God by coming to this prophet. And this was, that was the general way that people in the Old Testament heard from God. Prophets would speak on God's behalf in the Old Testament. And then God answers back through Ezekiel, and and he says, hey, before before we go there, before we talk about what you want to talk about, leaders of Israel, we're going to talk about what I want to talk about, and what I want to talk about is your idolatry. And then verse 5 tells us why God is so interested in talking about our idolatry. He says that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through their idols. So so God is using the the metaphor of marriage to talk about idolatry. This is you see it in that laying a hold of their hearts that they are estranged from me. And, and you'll see that throughout the Old Testament. God using marriage to talk about idolatry. If you read the Old Testament, the most common metaphor for idolatry in the Old Testament is the metaphor of adultery. It's, it's in the bounds of marriage. This is how God sees idolatry. So, so in this passage, he's looking at the people of Israel and he's saying, I, I'm, I'm your groom. And, and you, my people, you, you're my bride. And we've promised to be faithful forever to one another. This is why the first commandment is have no other gods before me. It's God saying, this is the covenant that we've made in our marriage together. Me as your God and you as my people, that you will love nothing more than me, that I will have your, your most loyal love and your deepest affections. This is why when Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? It's love God above everything else. That is the defining sort of core essence of what it means to be a Christian. We have entered into a marriage with God, and he is the one we love above all other things. It's this marriage analogy. And he's coming here, and he's saying to the people of Israel, every time you worship an idol, it is as if you are cheating on me. You're committing spiritual adultery. Every moment of idolatry is adultery. It's like you're inviting another lover into our marriage. And just like any good, faithful husband, God kind of has a problem with that. Yet God's not happy about that in this passage. Uh, Ray Ortland he captures this imagery really well when he says this. He says, what would you think of a husband who said to his wife, I don't care who gets into our bed, just keep the noise down so I can get my sleep. What would you think about any husband who, who says that? We would look at that husband and say, no, that, that's, you, you can't see your marriage like that, no. And in the same way, he says, God takes our idolatries personally, the, the way a husband would feel about the adulteries of his wife. And I love this question, he goes on to ask this question, he says, do you realize how important your love for Jesus is to Jesus do you realize how, how important your loyal love for Jesus is th- to Jesus? When, when our love wanders from God, when our trust wanders from God to something or someone else, God is not apathetic toward that. He's heartbroken about that. He's heartbroken about it. And you see this in verse 5. I want to talk about your idols because I want to lay hold of your heart because I want your heart. I want the deepest affection of your heart. I want your deepest devotion. I want you to love me above all other things. Now, isn't it amazing that God would be so gracious as to gather us in this room this morning so that he can talk to us about our idolatry? Isn't that a gracious thing from God? That we would have a God who loves us enough to do that? That that we would get to open up the scriptures with our God, read Ezekiel 14, and we would would be so pursued by God that that he would talk to us about our idolatry in an effort to lay hold of our hearts today, to, to bring our wondering hearts back to his big sacrificial loving heart. You have a God who's doing that for us this morning. Who's loving us like that? Who's pursuing you and me like that today? Because God knows that, that, that idols always overpromise and underdeliver. deliver they, they always do that. In the words of C.S. Lewis, I, it, idols will always break the hearts of their worshipers. Every time. They're, they're such cruel lovers. Listen to David Foster Wallace go on to talk about how cruel idols are in their love. He goes on to say this, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning into life. And listen, if we were honest in this room, there would be so many of us that our deepest sense of significance and security comes from money. And he's saying, if you worship money, if you're ascribing ultimate worth to money and things, possessions, houses, cars, all those things that we get so intertwined with saying if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning into life, then you will never have enough. That's that's the ironic thing about idols. You'll never have enough. You'll you'll, you'll never feel like you have enough. It's the truth, he says. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And, And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart and, and witty and having it all together. You worship your inner, uh, intellect, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always at the verge, uh, on the verge of being found out. Isn't that ironic? Idols promise so much to us, but they, they under-deliver. They break the hearts of their worshipers. And, and God has us here this morning to get us out of the wrong beds and to bring us back into his house. That's why God has you here today. It's why God has me here today. Thinking about this passage. Observation number one is God has a big problem with idolatry. And here's observation number two. Is that under all of our, idol, or under all of our sort of creative ways of sinning, and listen, we're creative in our ways of sinning. I am, you, you are, we all are. And underneath all of our creative ways of sinning, there lies idolatry. It's not just one among the many ways to sin. It is underneath, lurking below every way of sinning. And you see this in verse 3 where it says that we've taken idols into our hearts. Into our hearts. Now, in the Bible, the heart is it's not referring to the organ, like the thing beating, you know, beating in your chest. It's not referring to that. Uh, the word heart in the Bible is referring to the control center of your life. The thing that is directing and animating and and moving you in your life. And he's saying we have taken idols into our hearts. Underneath all of our external actions, our ways of sinning, there lies underneath it idolatry. So think about the Ten Commandments for a moment. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Now why is that one number one? Martin Luther, the reformer, he, he had great insight into that. He said this is the reason, that is the first commandment do not take, uh, you know, do not, no idols, no false gods in your life. It's, it's, a, it's a command against idolatry. Why is that the first one? He goes on to say this. Here's the reason. It's because before you ever break commandment two through ten, before you can break commandment two through ten, stealing, adultery, coveting before you can break commandment two through ten the prerequisite for breaking those commandments is first breaking commandment one that that underneath all other commandment breaking lies us breaking first commandment number one that we have taken idols into our hearts just play that out with lying as a for instance no one just lies we don't we don't just lie we always lie in service of something So we break commandment nine, lying, because we're serving something. If we value our reputation before God, if that's what we're ascribing ultimate worth to, our reputation, then we'll lie to protect our reputation. If we're ascribing ultimate worth to to money, right, it's money before God, then we'll lie to get money and to protect money. But, but we're always lying in service of something. This is why idolatry is not one of many ways of sinning. Idolatry is always there lurking underneath every way of sinning. And, and this is where, in some ways, the plot plots. Because it's not, just, it's not just that idolatry motivates bad behavior. Idolatry can also motivate the best sort of behavior. The, the best sort of behavior. Um, I, I did student ministry for years, and I always use this example in trying to, to illustrate this. Uh, it, this would be such a common occurrence. Um, I would get to know a just a rebellious teenager. I mean, this guy was, he was creative in his rule-breaking. I mean, he, he is, in all the ways you could break the commandments, he was breaking them all. He was just a rebellious teenager. And, uh, and, and you can imagine the moment where he meets a girl in our student ministry that he totally falls for. And you can just imagine what happens. I mean, this guy becomes John the Baptist. <laughs> I mean, he is there every week. He's got a Bible in hand. He is taking notes. He is on the front row. I mean, it is, it is, this guy is doing it. And then they break up, and the guy disappears. I mean, you, it would take the FBI to go track this guy down, right? I mean, th- that scenario would play itself out over and over and over again. Now, now what is happening there? Uh, on, the earth, on the surface, you would think, well, this guy's like genuinely met God. That's what's happened. But, but when you get below the surface, what you find is, no, he hasn't met God. He just met a new idol. And the first idol he had required rule-breaking, While the second idol he had, this new girlfriend, required rule keeping. Now isn't that deceptive? Now now we can see why idolatry is so hard to see in our life. It doesn't just motivate bad behavior, it also motivates good behavior. And, And here's the truth. Satan really doesn't care if you break the rules or keep the rules as long as whatever you do is in service of false gods. He really doesn't care. I think in a lot of ways, Satan would even prefer you be a nice moral rule keeper as long as your rule keeping was all motivated from idolatry. I was just thinking last night, just thinking about this point in particular and and just how over the years I've interacted personally with ministry. And looking back and seeing how so many moments in ministry for me had really nothing to do about the worship of God but the worship of my own particular idols. The God of human approval. It, it, it's just amazing to me looking back and, at how so many things that were so good, preaching, ministering to people, I mean, d- doing all those sorts of things just sprang right up out of the ground of this craving to be liked and applauded and thought well of. It's amazing, isn't it? That that even things like ministry can be motivated straight out of idolatry. And and God has us here today in his tender mercy toward us to talk to us about these things, to, to help us see these things, God is today looking past all of our behavior, whether it's good or it's bad, and he's looking all the way down into our hearts, trying to help us see today our idols. That's what God is here doing today. Idolatry detected. I want to spend just a few minutes with you thinking about just idolatry in your life and asking you a few questions that might help you get a sense of, like, where idolatry is playing itself out. And just be, be warned, you know, if you, could have, if you could have been in the room when Ezekiel, speaking for God, is talking to the leaders of Israel, and Ezekiel says, hey, here's the problem, leaders of Israel, you've taken idols into your heart. I think what you'd have found in the leaders of Israel is, Are you, you're accusing me of idolatry? Are you serious? I don't have any idols. And, and, and God, through Ezekiel, is looking back at them and saying, oh, yeah, yeah you do. You've got a whole shelf full right inside your heart, right? And so just let that, let that in some ways um, help us see, idolatry is hard to see. We actually need the Spirit of God to help us see these things in our life. We we actually need God to open our eyes to these things. It's not a matter of if we struggle with idolatry, it's where we struggle with idolatry, how that struggle is playing out. So let me just ask you a few questions. Number one, what are you looking at right now in your life and just deep down in the bottom parts of your heart, you're looking at it and you're saying, if I had that, just fill in the blank, if I had blank, then I would really feel significant. I I would then really feel like a somebody if I had that. What are you looking at and putting in that blank? We're all looking at something and doing it. We're all looking at something to rescue us from our insignificance. I've traditionally used the story of Rocky Balboa to describe this. Uh, there's this moment where his wife looks at him, and he's about to get into the ring with Apollo Creed, and she's like, why are you doing this? You're going to die. Don't do it. And, and he looks back and says, this, this is why. The only thing, this is the words of Rocky, the only thing I want to do is go the distance. That's all. Nobody's ever gone 15 rounds with Creed. If I go them 15 rounds and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know that I wasn't just another bum from the neighborhood. The truth is, every one of us in the room are looking for something to rescue us from being another bum in the neighborhood. I am. You are. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus specializes and taking bums and making them someone. He specializes in that. And, and so often we look at career advancement for it. Accomplishment for it. More stuff for it. New stuff for it. Marriage for it. If I could just get into that group of people, th- then I would really be a somebody. Everything but Jesus will break your hearts in the end. What are you looking to and saying, if I had that, then I would feel significant. Question number two, what, what are you looking at right now and saying, if, if, I, had, if I have this, f- fill in the blank, if I have this, then I'll finally be safe and secure. Then, then I'll finally be okay. I'll, I'll finally feel confident to kind of move out into the day. If I can just, if I can just get these things, M- maybe it's that fat bank account. M- maybe it's that IRA but, but what is it that you're looking at in your life and saying, if, if I only have this, then, then I'll be okay. You, you might could think about it this way, the reverse of that. What, what are you terrified to lose in your life? It's actually showing you what you're really depending on functionally in your life. What are you terrified to lose? What are you looking at and saying, if I, if I just had this and I'd finally feel safe and secure? That's pointing you toward your idols. And everything but Jesus in that blank will end up breaking your heart. Question number three. What are you looking at and saying, if I have this, I mean, if I could just get this thing, then I'll finally be happy. Then I'll finally, I'll finally have the happiness that I've always wanted for. Isn't it amazing how we are all on that sort of perpetual, ongoing Sort of grass is greener on the other side, skipping from this pasture to that pasture, trying to find something that will actually make us happy. It's amazing how we all do that. So we, we buy that. We, we get this. We, we distract ourselves with that. Just looking for something to, 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 to jump into that deep ache in our soul. But the truth is, everything other than Jesus in that blank will leave you with a broken heart. Uh, ESPN did a 30 for 30 on Dennis Rodman here recently. It was an amazing thing. Um, His life is amazing in so many ways. He grew 12 inches after high school. Who does that, right? But um, the the climatic point in in the two-hour episode was the last 30 seconds. It's an amazing moment. With 30 seconds left, the narrator comes on and says, Whatever he was looking for, whatever he was pursuing, he never found. Then it pans to Dennis Rodman on a stage. He looks at the camera, and he says, you know, you would think that being one of the most ten recognizable faces on the planet, I'd be happy, right? And then the whole episode two hours closes as he just melts into tears. Isn't that an amazing moment? Idols will always break the heart of their lovers. Everyone sans Jesus in that blink will leave you with a broken heart. And and let me just encourage you, maybe with this last question, to just keep asking why. To keep asking why. Like, why why is that compulsion in me in this moment? Why why am I drawn to this? Why am I doing that? That question why will start getting you down below the surface in your life, all the way down into your hearts where idols exist. That they get us down into the motivational kind of structure of our life. Keep asking that question why. And finally, we'll end here with idols destroyed idols destroyed. I'll never forget several years ago hearing Paul Tripp uh, talk about a research trip he did to India. And and on that trip, he was really there in India to to research Hinduism. And so he he at one point goes to this one particular temple that supposedly had the purest incarnation of the god Skiva. So he goes into this temple And inside that temple was a twenty-foot-tall statue of a male sexual organ. Just picture that—that's what he walks into in that temple. And flooding into that temple were dirt-poor Indian pilgrims. I mean, think third-world poverty. I mean, this is who is flooding into that temple, and they're coming from literally miles away. And they would—they would enter the temple; they would come into the temple. And they would just erupt with emotion, just overcome by emotion. And they would offer sacrifices to this God, to this statue, that they would give to it. They they would bow down at the base of this statue, and they would begin to kiss that statue. And and he talked about, like, he's doing this, this, uh, uh, all this work through an interpreter, so he's interviewing these people. And one of these men walked 400 miles to get to this temple. And in the middle of watching this go down, he, he talks about just being overcome with just what felt like a tangible darkness. And just in his disgust, he ran out of the temple, back toward his car. And as he's running back to his car, he begins to pray to God. And here's, here's the prayer that he begins to pray. God, thank you. I'm not like them. I, I'm not like those people. And in the middle of getting into his car, it was like the the Lord just broke through and shook him in that moment. As the Lord said to him, "Oh, but you are. You are. Your idols may not look like that. They may not come in those forms. But let's just take a good, wide look at your heart. And in your heart, you've got them stacked on the shelf. And, and church, don't we want to? Don't we want to be free of idols?" I mean, we, we want to be rid of idols in our life, right? So, so what, what is the way of, of, of being rid of idols, of seeing our idols destroyed? Well, Ezekiel 14, verse 6 shows us. that, Therefore, God says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, here is how idols are destroyed. Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord your God, repent and turn away from your idols. There it is. What do we do with our idols? We repent of our idolatry. And it's that word repentance that really brings Jesus into clear focus in this passage. Repenting means that that we turn from something, namely our idolatry. Our worship is directed this way. We're ascribing worth to these created things. We're depending on these things for our hope and happiness, our safety and significance. So repentance means that that we are turning from from these things and, and now we're turning to something. We're turning from something and we're turning to something, namely Jesus, our one true God. We turn from our idols and we turn to Jesus, the, the only one who will not break our hearts in the end, the only one who can hold our hope and happiness, our security and our safety. Everything our heart so desperately wants can be found only in the person of Jesus, only in him. So what God's inviting us into today is turning from our idols and turning to Jesus, our one true God. T- to Jesus. And, and it's there as we're turning from our deep idolatry. And it's there as we turn back to Jesus, our one true God, that our deepest change comes about in our life. It's right there. So, so with that said, would you just bow your head there where you are? and we want to give you some space this morning for the Spirit of God to press into you, to begin to show you where your idolatry exists. It's not if, it's just where. Where and how is idolatry working itself out in your life? You can just even now begin to ask the Lord to show you these things. To to open up your eyes where where you have a working awareness of how idolatry right now in your life is subverting a love for God. Will you bow with me? And I just want to give you a moment to respond to the Lord. Just there where you are, you can close your eyes, and this is just a chance for you. This is God loving you this morning bringing you right here into this time, this space, this moment to show you what will in the end break your heart. This is God loving you enough to rescue you from ruthless lovers and to bring you back into relationship with him, for him to lay hold of your heart again. So God, would you do that this morning? God, would you work like that in us today? God, may we clear the stage in our, in our heart? God, and will you restore a right worship of you? God, when we think of you, may we be captivated. May you, may you get our loyal love, our deepest devotions. Oh God, would you do that? Would you do that? And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.